Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Boss Podcast. I'm Kirk Bailey and this week we go back to 2013 for a talk that has stood the test of time as Mikey Trafton talks recruiting a badass team. Welcome to the Business of Software podcast, where we share talks from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. You can find out more at businessofsoftware.org. For more than 20 years, Mikey Trafton has been helping the most successful companies in the US design, develop and deploy mission-critical technology solutions. As well as Bluefish Development Group, Mikey is also the founder of FireAnt Software. Mikey has a passion for helping first-time entrepreneurs reach their goals through mentoring, coaching and investing, and he serves on the advisory board of several local startups. He is a regular speaker on the topics of enterprise content management, entrepreneurship and company culture. In this talk from Boss USA, Mikey looks at how to attract the best talent, how to ignore useless resumes and screen candidates using best techniques, how to interview, how to make an offer of employment that will knock the candidate's socks off, and so much more. Happy listening. Didn't write any books. I didn't sell my company for $100 million. I don't teach at some big business school. Uh, I'm just an entrepreneur down in Austin, Texas, you know, like a lot of folks in this room. Uh, and I own a, a software and consulting firm. We're mostly a services company. We build custom software for the Fortune 500. That's what we do. And last year when I spoke, I told the story about how I fired myself from my own company. And uh, I, I still own the company, I, but I've turned it over to my team, and my team runs it for me. Um, so all I have to do is, you know, sit back, cash the checks, which is freaking awesome, by the way. Uh, and uh, my team has been doing a pretty good job. Uh, last year, they doubled revenue. They more than doubled profits. And this year, so far, they've already exceeded what they did last year. Um, so when I tell that story, people always come up to me and they're like, Mikey, how did you do this? And I say, I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't do it. My team did it. And they say, okay, but how did your team do it? And I say, well, I, I don't know. I mean, they did it because they're freaking amazing. That's how they did it. I don't, and they go, okay, well, how, how did you get this team? Well, I don't know. I just hired them. And they say, okay, well, how did you hire them? And I say, oh, well, that I know all about. Yeah, I can tell you about that. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to tell you uh, how we hire people at my company, which is called Bluefish. And uh, my goal for this presentation is for you to take away some very practical uh, tools. Um, uh, some, I want you to take these things. I want you to take them home, use them in your company. Uh, that would, that's what I'm uh, hoping for. Uh, a quick show of hands, though. Uh, who here is from Austin, Texas, my hometown? Okay, you people from Austin, you're not allowed to use any of this stuff, okay? It's too competitive uh, already. I want to see you playing Angry Birds. Uh, don't listen to me. Everybody else, let's, uh, let's learn uh, how to hire a, a great team. Um, this is me, by the way. Uh, so, uh, you know, when I was putting this presentation together, I, I was... Uh, cognizant of the fact that we were going to have uh, some 10-year-olds in the audience, and I was worried about, you know, my normal, what my little 7-year-old says is, uh, Daddy, you have a potty mouth when you get excited. Um, so I'm going to try hard not to uh, uh, use any bad language, but there's this one term that I just kind of feel like it, it captures what I'm talking about so well, um, 
you know, when I'm from this small town in Texas, Alvin, Texas, and we have more cows than people in Alvin. And in Alvin, when something is, is you know, more awesome than awesome, or, you know, when it's more amazing than merely amazing, we call it badass. Um, as in, dude, your new pickup truck is badass. I like that. Um, so that's what I'm talking about, is how to hire a badass team that someone's just, just an, the best you can, can you, you know you can imagine. Um, and in the, the work that I've done, I've kind of learned three things about hiring a badass team. And the first is that badasses love other badasses. Um, the best way to build a team of badasses is to start with a smaller team of badasses, because then the, the other badasses are just drawn naturally. Uh, so the example I use uh, for this is the, the Navy, the United States Navy, right? So there's 300,000 uh, sailors in the Navy, um, and they're, I'm sure they're all very good at their jobs. But then there's this tiny little club, little elite team in the Navy, which is the Navy SEALs, right? This is, these guys are badass, and they will, people in the Navy compete really hard. They put themselves through training and they, they, they you know, uh, go through boot camps in order to join this super elite team just to be part of the super most elite team. That's what they want. Um, and the same thing can happen. So uh, what I'm going to talk about today is how do you attract great talent into your company? That's one of the things I'm going to talk about. Um, another thing I'm going to talk that I've learned is that you have to test your candidates. You know, if you want to hire a badass, you have to evaluate them to figure out if they're a badass. So I'm going to talk a lot about how do we evaluate and assess the candidates that we're trying to, to hire. And then finally, I've learned that sale, uh, recruiting is a, a lot like sales. And in your sales process, you're taking the whole universe of people who could potentially be your customers, and you are, you know, attracting them to your product or service and you're differentiating yourself from other your competitors and then you're closing the deal and in recruiting it's the exact same thing you have this whole universe of people who could potentially work for you you have to attract them to your company you have to differentiate yourself from all the other companies they could go work at and then you have to close them and so I'm going to talk about how you can use some of the tools and techniques you use in your sales process to actually and use it in your recruiting process so uh, the first thing we have to do if we're going to hire some people is we have to figure out what it is that we need in the role that we're looking to hire. Um, and so the, the, if we're going to hire badasses, right, then that begs the question of what makes a badass. Um, and so, of course, there's technical and, and functional excellence, you know, the sort of nuts and bolts of the job. But what really makes a badass, in my opinion, is what I call the superpowers. These are, this is the X factor. These are the soft skills or, you know, the non-technical skills. For your salesperson, their superpowers might be the ability to walk in a room and build rapport with anybody in the room. Um, for your developer, they might be really great at solving abstract conceptual problems. Uh, for your designer, their superpower might be the ability to envision new ways to present information. Um, so let me give you an example. Let's say we're hiring a, a bookkeeper for the, for the company. Um, so there's some table stakes that the bookkeeper needs. So of course the bookkeeper needs to know how to do invoicing and the difference between accounts receivable and accounts payable and how to use your accounting software. And that's kind of table stakes. You're not going to hire a bookkeeper that doesn't know that. But what you really need, what really matters in a bookkeeper is the, these superpowers, right? So 
this bookkeeper is going to have access to all your financial data. Do you trust them? Are they off the charts trustworthiness? Um, will the bookkeeper treat your money like their money? And will they be frugal with it? Um, can, can the bookkeeper be persistent when they're collecting money from your customers without being so pushy that they alienate your customers? Um, do, do, does she know how to keep a secret, right? Um, uh, she's going to have access to all of your, your uh, financial information. Can she keep her yap shut, right? So, my, uh, so this is the superpowers, this is what you, you need. And it's actually really hard to figure out what are the superpowers you need for a given role. Um, you can, most of us can figure out the technical skills that are needed, but we're not sure what those softer skills are. So there's a tool for this that we use, it's super awesome. It's called the Lominger Leadership Architect Cards. Literally, this is a deck of cards. Um, these guys have invented or come up with 67 different, they call them leadership competencies, uh, that uh, they're things like um, the ability to manage direct reports or intellectual horsepower or, you know, dealing with conflict. These are, they've come up with 67 of these and this is what they look like. So on one side of the card, they list the competency, in this case planning, and they have a description of what it means to be skilled in that competency. Turn the card over, they tell you what does it mean to be unskilled in this competency and what does it mean to overuse this skill. So what we do is we take this deck of cards, we lay them out on the table, and we sort them into piles. So who, which competencies are absolutely essential for this position, which ones are nice to have, which ones are you know, not needed, et cetera. And that's how we come up with the superpowers that we need for a given role. Super highly recommend this. Less than 100 bucks. Uh, order them on the uh, internet. This is a super awesome resource for figuring out how do you get started in, in, in the role that you're looking for. So after you know what you're hiring, we need to attract candidates into the company, which means we need to fill our funnel full of candidates, which is a lot like lead generation. In fact, you know, this is the lead generation for your, recruit, for your recruiting process. Um, and we can use a lot of the same marketing techniques that we use to market our products to our potential customers to market our company to our potential employees. Um, so probably the, the easiest way to attract people to your company um, is to become famous, right? So uh, this is if, you, if Google puts an ad job posting out, if my, you know, Microsoft or Facebook or Apple, if any of these companies post an ad, a lot of people apply for that because they have heard of these companies and they have some sense of what it's like to work at that company, um, what the opportunities are. Um, well, you're probably not going to be able to be, you know, Ben Affleck famous, but you might be able to be Casey Affleck famous, right? His <laughs> little brother. Uh, so been in a couple of movies, uh, and so what, the, what I mean here is that in your little universe, maybe it's your geography, maybe it's your town, you can be famous as an employer. Maybe it's a technology that you work on. If you're a, a rail shop, maybe you can become famous in the rails community. Um, but you, you can do this. This is, this is not that hard if you, you know, narrow the scope of your domain. Um, and so how do you do this? Well, you do it the same way that you become famous for your products. You blog about it, you host meetups, you get you know, the local press to talk about you, contribute to some open source projects. Um, the same things that you would do for marketing your product, but these are actually easier because this stuff you care about, like writing some open source framework, you're already doing that and you like that. Writing some article about your industry you actually hate, right? So this is easier stuff to do. Um, so by the way, as a quick aside, uh, I had to pick a, 
uh, a picture for Ben Affleck for that slide. Um, so I Googled Ben Affleck's picture, and I, I came up with a, you know, a whole bunch of magazine covers. He does not know how to tie a tie. Have you noticed this? <laughs> um, okay, so uh, another great way to, uh, to fill your funnel with candidates is uh, your customers. So uh, particularly if you're in a B2C uh, marketplace or a B2C business, uh, your customers are a great place for employees because they already know your company, they're already using your product, they're already familiar with it. A buddy of mine hired a great support, customer support rep by just putting a little ad on the bottom of his normal customer newsletter that he sends out. Um, he got a ton of you know, interest from his customers and he hired one. And she was already an evangelist for the product because she, she loved it and used it. So that's a great way to fill your funnel. And of course, there's, there's the advertising of the recruiting world, which is job postings. Um, so I've got some tips for how to make effective job postings. Um, the first one is no generic job postings. I, mean, we, I look on the internet, I see people advertising their you know, jobs, and they say, you know, Java developer wanted. Well, you wouldn't say educational software available, right? You would position your product towards the problems and the pains of your customers and the features and benefits that you, uh, you know, have that solve those pains. And you can do the same thing with your job postings. Um, if, if what's interesting about your company is, from an employee, employee perspective, is that you have flexible work hours, then you should, you know, have, have that in your job posting. Maybe it says, you know, do you want to, you know, work from home, work in your underwear, whatever. Um, if you have a keg in the office, there should be a picture of the keg on the job posting, right? This, you need to attract the, the people to your offer. Um, also, the title of your job posting is what's absolutely most important in your whole job posting. In the same way that the email subject line is the most important in your you know, marketing emails, the title is the most important. So here's a, a screenshot. I just did a little search for developers, and you can see... Um, uh, the titles here are software developer, programmers for scientific software, UI software engineer, and then there's this one in the middle that says Android innovation like you've never tried before. And I don't know if this is a good company to work at or not, but if I were an Android developer, I would definitely click on this to see what they thought was so innovative about what they were doing because it just stands out a little bit. So put some energy into your um, titles. Uh, and then finally, when someone clicks on one of your job postings, they have to go somewhere. Um, and when you advertise your product, you take them to a landing page. We'll do the same thing for your, uh, for your job. Take them to a landing page where you tell them more about the job and about the company. So here's uh, our friend uh, Jason Cohen, his company, WP Engine, down in Austin. This is their careers page. Um, and it just is, it's a landing page for a job. So it's got a call to action, apply now. It's got testimonials from existing employees, you know, who say how great the company is. It's got a freaking product overview video for the company. This is a video about the culture of the company. It's a product overview. It's got benefits, for crying out loud, you know, features and benefits of working at this company. You, this is a great idea. Uh, I, you should steal this, absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, so there's another thing you can do, of course, which is you can uh, get some help. So you can hire recruiters to help fill the funnel to help you hire the, the candidates that you need for your, uh, for your company. Um, and I've got some concern about recruiters. Um, so here's the deal. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to offend some recruiters here. But, y you know, you would expect when 
that there would be a normal bell curve distribution of recruiters. Uh, that there would be a few of them that are sucky and a few of them that are really good and most of them are kind of average in the middle. But the actual true distribution of recruiters is, looks like this. <laughs> There's almost none of them that are any good. Um, but if you do hire a recruiter, and we do use recruiters, uh, if you do hire one, I do have some tips for uh, how to make that more effective. First of all, think of recruiters as lead generation, not as sales. And what I mean by that is that your recruiter, when you're hiring your recruiter, when you're interviewing them, they're going to tell you, oh, we are going to find candidates. We're going to help you screen and evaluate the candidates to make sure they're a good fit. We're going to help you negotiate and close the candidate. No, 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 no. You're not going to let them do any of that. You're going to be way better at all of that than, than they are. All you want them to do is give you the candidate, fill the funnel for you, right? Um, this is a, uh, analogous to a uh, cold calling company that makes cold calls for you and sets appointments for your sales guys to go close the deal. Um, the second tip is do not pay a recruiter a percentage of salary. But of course, this is how the recruiters want to get paid, right? They want to get 20 to 30% of the first year's salary of, for the candidate they place with you. Uh, the problem is, is that this model misaligns your incentives. You, you want to close the best candidate for the least possible salary. They want you to pay the most possible salary so it maximizes their uh, commission. So instead of doing that, um, this is what we do. We create a budget, say $100,000 for a new developer. We go to the recruiter and we say, okay, you want 25% of the first year salary? We'll pay you 25% of the budget. It's 100 grand. Now, if we close this guy for 90 grand, you're gonna still gonna get 25K, which is 25% of our budget. But if it takes 110 to close the guy, you're still gonna get 25K. And uh, every recruiter that we've talked to will go for this deal. Um, you know, you have to twist their arm, but they'll go for it. Um, okay, so now we have filled the funnel, we've got some candidates in, and we need to figure out if these candidates are a good fit for our company. So we need to assess them. Uh, and it, the way I think about this is that we're you know, shaking candidates through a, a screen and we're filtering out the losers and we're trying to find the real badasses that fall through the screen. Um, and a lot of companies use uh, resumes as a screening technique. Um, but this is really a disaster because resumes are absolutely useless. They're, they communicate almost nothing. They're horrible for screening. They, first of all, they contain no bad information, right? You, the, the, only the good stuff goes on the resume. And secondly, um, every resume looks different. So it's very hard to compare apples to apples. Um, so we don't use resumes as a screening technique. Um, after we like you, we'll open up your resume and look at it and you know, kind of so we have something to talk about, but we don't look at it actually until after we like you. Um, so the first step in our process um, is not a resume, it's an application form. Um, and the reason that we do this, this is what it looks like. Um, uh, it's a little form on our website and we just ask a handful of questions. We need some contact information. This one is for a Java developer. And we just ask, hey, how many years of Java development do you have? How many client engagements have you ever worked on? And how would you rate yourself as a Java developer? Um, so the first benefit that this application form has is that it requires a human being. And submitting a resume does not require a human being. The job boards do that automatically. So people can go in and be like, yeah, I'm gonna, this job description has the word programming in it. I'm going to apply to that job. And they don't even read it. I mean, you'll get 300 resumes. 
250 of the people didn't even read your job description. So this forces, that's the first call. Um, uh, is this is the, the, we call it wide mesh screen. We're filtering out the absolute losers who don't even read. Um, now when you fill this form out, you get a little email. We send you an automatic autoresponder email and it says, hey, thanks for your interest in you know, our job. Let me tell you what the next step of our process is. We need you to answer a few questions that are going to really help us figure out if you might potentially be a fit for our company. Um, and that thing we call the written assessment. Um, and so this is the other sort of major uh, filter that filters out people who are not interested in uh, working at Bluefish. Um, the vast majority of people do not return, fill out the written assessment. They get that email and they're like, I'm not doing this. I can go work across the street and I don't have to fill out some crazy written assessment. And we're like, yeah, great. You don't get to work with the Navy SEALs. I mean, right? You don't have to go through boot camp to be in the Navy. You can go work across the street at, you know, uh, some Best Buy IT department, right? Um, but if you want to work for us, you got you to do this. Um, and so our written assessment is a series of little essay questions. It's typically three or four. It's designed for someone to fill out in about two hours. Um, and we ask questions such as, um, hey, describe the techniques you use for organizing and tracking requirements. This would be for like a business analyst. Um, if you were a designer, we might say, hey, here's a website. Critique this. Give us, give, give us some recommendations on the navigation, the information architecture, that sort of thing. Um, hey, this is one of my favorite questions, absolutely, of hiring a web developer. What do you find hard about web development? Um, the way somebody answers, answers this very open-ended question will tell you a lot about what level they're operating on, right? Um, and you might say, hey, Mikey, uh, that seems kind of like a lot of work. Nobody is going to fill out this freaking essay. No one's going to take your essay test, right? You're not going to get any candidates. Um, but what we do is when we send that autoresponder email, we also attach this little document. And it's uh, titled, What to Expect from the Bluefish Interview Process. And we tell them exactly what I'm telling you about our process. We explain, here's all the steps in the process, and here's why I do it. Because we're the freaking Navy SEALs, and if you want to be a Navy SEAL, you got to go through boot camp. And by the way, the people we're looking for, that's what they're looking for. That's what they're looking for, is they are tired of working with mediocre coworkers. They want to graduate into the working with badasses. They have the sense that they are a badass and they want to work with badass and they are desperately seeking a company who has a badass-only policy. And so if all you have to do is send your resume and you get hired, it's not a company full of badasses. You, so, what we find is our absolute best of candidates, even companies who are candidates who never heard of Bluefish before, that they hear about our recruiting process and they take two steps forward. And they're like, ooh, I'm intrigued by that. I'm interested in what is going on here. Something interesting is going on. So it absolutely does work. Um, so after the written assessment, and you know, of the people who fill out the written assessment, most people don't meet our bar. Most people who fill out the application form don't even, you know, fill out the written assessment. So we're already down to a very small number of people who we like from their responses to the written assessment. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to minimize the human work that we have to do uh, to, to process these uh, candidates and, and, and uh, assess them. So if we like your written assessment, we bring you in for our screening interview. This interview is uh, typically 30 minutes or an hour. It's face-to-face. -face. It's with the hiring manager. And the screening interview is all about giving the candidate back some love. They jumped through our hoops. They filled out our written assessment. Now we're, you know, 
going to uh, spend some time with them and make them feel good. So it's not a hard interview. It's super easy. We just ask, hey, uh, give me a short re uh, review of your career. What have you been working on lately? Uh, what do you like best about your current job? What are you looking for in a new job or a new company? Um, and the most important question of all is, hey, what's your compensation history and what are your salary expectations? I can't tell you how many companies I talk to who will find a candidate, they'll interview them, they'll invest all this time in them, they'll write an offer letter, they'll send it off, and I'm offering you $100,000, the candidate says, but I wanted 130. And there's been a mismatch all along. And so in the very first time that you talk to the candidate, find out what their salary expectations are to, to make sure you, there's not a mismatch. Um, Probably 90%, this is an easy interview, probably 90% of the people make it through our screening interview. Really all we're trying to do is figure out, do they walk and chew gum at the same time? <clears throat> um, then if we like you, if you made it past that, then we bring you in for the real interview, which is our in-depth interview, which the team at Bluefish calls the gauntlet, right? And this is a full day interview. It's hard. Um, it's got lots of little steps in it. Uh, and it's just like the obstacle course you have to use to get past uh, you know, basic training. Um, this is the gauntlet you have to get past if you're gonna work at Bluefish. Um, so uh, our goal for the in-depth interview, we have two goals. One is selfish, we wanna assess you, your skills, your attitude, do you have the superpowers we're looking for? Um, but we also, at the same time, wanna make the candidate fall in love with us so they'll accept our offer when we make the offer because the candidates we're hiring have lots and lots of choices. So this interview process is where we really make them fall in love. And we do that in two ways. The first way is um, we haven't talked, we haven't met a ton of bluefishers. When you come in for this interview, you're gonna meet probably eight different bluefishers. And our goal, because badasses are attracted to other badasses, is we're just gonna parade our little army of badasses in front of you so that you meet eight people, they're all awesome, and you say, well, everybody there must be awesome, and, and you're really excited about that. So that's the first way to make them fall in love. And the second way is to have a really high bar. So this is a tough interview. We're asking hard questions. And the people we want to hire, they like that. They want it to be hard. They want it to be challenging. They are, they're aching for something challenging. They haven't been challenged in their current job in a long time. Um, so uh, the first step of the day is what we call our panel interview. And if you don't take anything else from this presentation, I really hope you steal, you blatantly steal this idea because it, I don't know of anyone else who does it this way, and it's awesome. Uh, so the panel interview, uh, it came about because we uh, we had uh, we knew we wanted the candidates to meet lots of different people. So we uh, we usual, used to schedule eight individual one-hour interviews. That didn't work for us because each interviewer was spending too much time building rapport in the beginning of the interview and you know learning the history of the candidate and that kind of stuff. And there wasn't enough time to actually have the rest of the interview. Um, the panel interview takes three bluefishers, puts them in a room with the candidate, and we basically have three interviews going on at once, and it we, takes two and a half-ish hours. That's, that's what we typically budget for it. And the way it works is it's just round robin. Each interviewer has a set of those competencies that he or she is assigned to assess, and a set of canned, you know, interview questions that they brought in. Um, and the first interview asks a question, then the second, then the third, and then when it gets to the candidate, the candidate gets to ask any of them a question. And we just go around and around and around 
which is awesome because the candidate gets to see how the three bluefishers are interacting and gets to like a hint of what the culture is like. We try to make it a little bit fun. And the three bluefishers are evaluating all of the candidates' responses and, and the questions the candidate is asking back to us, which actually is the most important thing that the candidate says because it gives evidence of what the candidate cares about. So the panel interview is awesome. Um, and then after the panel interview, we huddle in a little corner and everybody votes. And they say, should this person continue on to the next step or do we eject them out of our lives, right? And we actually, everybody sits around with their thumb and we go thumb up or thumb down. Um, and we actually cleared this ahead of time with the candidate. And the way we do that is we say, hey, listen, it's gonna be a long day, it's gonna be a tough day. If at any time during the day you realize that this company is not a fit for you, are you comfortable letting us know? And we'll just end the interview and you can have the rest of your day back. And the candidate says, of course, absolutely, I'll, I'll, no problem. And then we say, and in, uh, similarly, I'm sure you won't mind if we realize you're not a fit if we end the interview. <laughs> um, so this works great, and the, it, actually the candidates have fun, you know, they'll come back and they'll say, so how did I do, am I still in? Or, and so, you know, we make it a little fun. So after the panel interview, if you get the thumbs up, you go to, oh, a uh, couple thoughts uh, on uh, effective uh, interviewing questions. So one technique that we use in the panel interview is uh, called TORQUE, the threat of reference check. Um, this is a top grading concept, it's awesome, uh, and the way it works is you ask the candidate, um, hey, uh, Sally, uh, what's your manage, current manager's name? And you write it down, Bob Smith. Okay, Bob. So when I call Bob, what's he going to tell me about your last performance review? Um, and mo this is the strengths and weaknesses question, but it's the one that works. Because the strengths and weaknesses question, people are like, my weakness is that I'd work too hard and I care too much, right? Which is totally bogus. Uh, but that, the other problem is that the, that strengths and weaknesses question is too conceptual. And it makes them have to really, you know, think about their splooge that, you know, Paul just told us about, right? Um, the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, this question, you know, what did your, what is your manager going to tell me about? He, uh, that question is uh, a memory question, right? So it forces you to remember your, your previous, uh, your previous uh, performance review and, and you know, recall. So it, it's, you get a more honest answer if you use the torque. Um, the second thing I'll share with you is what I think is the best in interview question uh, of all. So uh, I usually get assigned the competency of assessing intellectual horsepower, and which is basically, are you smart or not? And so my favorite question for figuring out if you're smart or not is, hey, in five minutes, can you tell me about something you understand very well, but it's complicated, and I probably don't understand it all. And we've had people tell us about rock climbing, tell us about how to bake a great cupcake, tell us about how NASCAR works. Um, it doesn't matter what the subject is, but you can tell if somebody understands what complicated means, if somebody can dumb it down for a new audience, you can poke at the and ask more detailed questions. This is my favorite interview question. Um, okay, so... Uh, after the uh, panel interview, we move on to the skills assessment. This is a one-on-one -on -one hard skills interview uh, for a developer. This is uh, algorithms, object-oriented concepts, data structures, that kind of stuff on a whiteboard. We do it with one of the interviewers who was in the panel, so they already have the rapport with the candidate. Um, if you get the thumbs up on that, then the 
lunch. And lunch is actually part of our interview process. Uh, we send you to lunch with three new blue fishers that you've never met. And the only you know, thing we're asking the, the uh, blue fishers when they come back is, hey, do you want to go to lunch with this person again? Um, but we, and we used to not do this. We used to say, can we condense this eight-hour day into a shorter day, maybe bring in lunch or skip lunch? And that didn't work. We just said they need a break. They go to lunch. They chit-chat. Um, it's kind of like a cultural test. Um, when you get back from lunch, uh, then we have the practical. And this is probably the, the, the hardest part of the day. And the practical is an exercise that's designed to uh, test both your technical skills and your superpowers at the same time. Uh, it's an exercise. It's typically a couple of hours. Uh, so for a developer, our practical is a coding exercise. So we give them a little coding exercise. We give them a computer. Two hours later, they're going to give us back you know, uh, some code. Uh, if you're a salesperson, our practical is we tell you, bring with you a list of the people that you need to cold call, and we're going to watch you make cold calls for an hour. Um, and every salesperson you interview will tell you that they are a prospecting machine, um, but they're all lying, um, or a lot of them are lying. And you can tell by just sitting and watching them make cold calls for an hour, how do they deal with gatekeepers, how do they leave a voicemail. You don't even have to listen to the other side of the conversation. Just listen to the sales guy's side of the conversation, and that'll tell you if they actually know how to prospect. If you were a project manager, we say, hey, bring your current project status report for whatever project you're working on now and present it to us like we, as if we were the stakeholders. So whatever the role is, there's a practical, which shouldn't require much preparation. Um, you ought to be able to just show up and do it, but it's a real life test of how you perform uh, the job. Uh, after the practical, then is the executive interview. This is the last step of the day. The executive interview is two uh, executives, the top two executives in the company, CEO, COO. Um, and this is an hour or an hour and a half interview. And they meet with the candidate. Uh, and we have two goals of the executive interview. Uh, the first is to dig into any areas of concern that the uh, candidates or that the other interviewers may have had over the course of the day. So if, you know, if I interview you and I, I'm it's not, I'm not going to eject you, I'm not going to vote to eject you, but I'm worried about this thing, then we'll tell the execs and they'll dig into it during their interview. The other half of the, the other goal is to sell the candidate on the company. Because if the candidate has made it here, then we probably want to hire him. I mean, they've gone through the gauntlet and this is the last step. So this is actually more selling than it is uh, screening. Um, and the candidates tell us they love this. I mean, our employees say one of their favorite parts of the interview was getting to meet the people who run the company. That just doesn't happen. And it shows that we have respect for the position, the respect for them, that we value their, you know, the contribution they're going to make, and they get to meet with the execs. Now, we put it last so that if we eject somebody, the execs you know, uh, don't have to interview them first. Um, <clears throat> and so... Uh, that lasts, you know, like I said, hour, hour and a half for a more uh, senior position. Um, we do that round robin style as well, so the candidate gets to ask the execs questions. Um, so that's the end of the day. Um, and then there's another step in the process, which is the reference check, right, which might happen afterwards. Um, and a lot of companies uh, feel like they have to do a reference check. It's almost, you know, due diligence. But most companies really don't do the reference check effectively. Um, and not for their own fault, but because the company that you're calling for the reference check uh, won't tell you the truth. 
uh, in general. Most managers are not going to tell you anything bad about a previous employee. Um, for one reason, they can get sued. And it, it has happened, and a lot of people are worried about that. The other issue is that if they hired that employee, then it looks bad on it looks bad on me if I tell you this person that I hired actually was a dud. So I'm probably not going to tell you that. So we uh, have a little trick for doing the reference check, which sort of eliminates this. And the way, way we do it is the first words out of our mouth is we say, hey, Bob, um, I'm calling about Sally, and I want to let you know we've decided to make Sally an offer. So bam, right off the gate, we're not asking you what you think, if this is a good hire or a bad hire. We've already decided she's good enough for us. And then we say, what I'm the reason I'm calling Bob is I'm looking for some advice from you on how best to manage Sally. Um, and so it's just like, hey, I'm a manager, you're a manager, we're all members of the same club, help a brother out, right? Come on, give me some advice. And it just changes the whole tone of the conversation. They don't feel like there's that risk of getting sued or anything like that. So we ask questions like, hey, what advice do you have on, for managing this person effectively? And how does she respond to feedback when you gave her constructive criticism? And, hey, what were the best ways to motivate her? What were the best ways, you know, what sort of things demotivated her? Uh, can, I, uh, can I give her projects that require nights and weekends, or is she going to freak out about that? Um, what about deadlines? Can I put her on a project that has a tight deadline, or do I need to give her the projects that have a lot of padding? Um, does she like uh, a lot of detailed instruction, or does she do better if you just give her a high-level task, a goal, and just turn her loose? I mean, these are all the same things that you would ask if you were doing the real reference check, right? But they're disguised as this advice, and you will get a much, much better response out of the manager. Um, and we do this whether we've made the decision to hire her or not. And frankly, we tend to use our own judgment on whether to hire because our screening processes are better um, than, you know, most of the other companies in town. And our culture is different, and it's all about a fit. And so maybe she was a bad fit for them and a great fit for us. So we actually really are looking for advice um, uh, on how to manage her. OK, so uh, next is making the offer. So when you, you decide to hire this person, you have to make the offer. A lot of companies, especially uh, younger companies, I see uh, fall down when making the offer. Um, and so I've got some tips for that. Uh, the first tip is. Uh, get the candidate to pre-commit to working at your company before you even make them the offer. Um, so what we don't want is we don't want the candidate to take our offer and take all the other offers she's you know, received and compare them. Because then she's making her decision intellectually. We don't want her to make her decision intellectually. We want her to make her decision emotionally. We mean, she spent the freaking day with us, for crying out loud. We wanted her to fall in love. Did she fall in love? If she fell in love, she... She ought to want to work for us. So the way this sounds is we say, Sally, you're a stud. I, everybody says so. Everybody that met you loved you. You aced all our questions. You are a badass. We want you to come work here. When you feel the same way, when you decide that you're ready to come work at Bluefish, you let me know and we're, we, we will work out the details. So I'm not giving you the offer. I'm waiting for you to make the commitment to me and then we'll work out the details. And that's an honest uh, a sentiment. Um, so that's the, the, the first thing we do. Uh, the second is uh, we make all of our offers uh, in person. And, you know, back in the day, we didn't used to do this. We used to write it all down in a, you know, PDF and send it via email. And then we'd be like, 
It's been three hours. We haven't heard anything. Did, did they hate the offer? Does, maybe she just didn't check email. Um, and we were you know, driving ourselves crazy. Now, we make the offer in person. You know, uh, if Sally says right there at the, a lot of times we try to do this at the end of the executive interview. If we like them, let's close them right there. Hey, we want you to work here. Do you want to work for us? Yes, I do. Okay. What we were thinking is you'd have this much salary, this much variable compensation, this much equity. You'd have this title working for this guy on these kinds of projects. How does all that sound? And you can see on her face whether or not that's good for her. And she'll tell you, well, I was actually thinking I'd rather have this. Or, you know, could I take a little less salary and a little more equity or whatever? And you work it out. And you negotiate that in person the way you would do a sales deal. And uh, then you, after she agrees, you write that up in, in a former offer letter just papering the, the, the deal. And then finally, after she's accepted the deal, you have to block the counteroffer. And there will be a counteroffer from her current employer because most companies are not filled with badasses, right? Most companies have mediocre people. So wherever she's working, she's probably the only badass that they, she just snuck in the door one day somehow, and she's the only badass they have. And they do not want to lose her, right? So they're going to fight to keep her. She's their best person. So what we don't want is her, you know, going back to that company, them making a counteroffer, and her deciding to stay there. So uh, the way we block that is by just role-playing with her what that experience is going to be like so that she doesn't get uh, surprised by it. And so what we say is, so Sally, what, you know, I'm super excited you've accepted our offer. Uh, we can't wait to, for you to, you know, join. I'm curious, what are you going to say when they make a counteroffer? When you go in and resign and they make a counteroffer? And, you, you know, she probably hasn't thought about it. So Sally might say, ah, oh, they probably won't do that. And then you say, no, they're definitely going to do that because you're a stud, you're a badass, and they're going to want to keep you. Anybody would want to have you. They're going to make you a counteroffer. What are you going to say? And so you're forcing her to think through it. So she said, well, I, I, I'm gonna, I, I'll tell them it's just time for me to move on. You know, she's thinking through what she's going to say, so she's rehearsing it with you. And then we say, okay, well, what if they offer you like $20,000 more? What are you going to say? And then she's like, oh, okay. No, 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 no. Um, that's not right for my career. Plus, I don't care. I don't like the direction the company is moving, and my manager isn't that jerk. And, you know, and so, they, uh, so you're just getting her to work through what she's going to say. She's building up the emotional commitment to you, and she's building up the emotional fortitude to say no to the counteroffer, whatever it is. Um, this is a sales technique uh, called post-selling that we also use in sales to prevent uh, buyer's remorse after we close a deal. It works very similarly. Um, okay, so you've made the offer, and now there's a couple of things to do after the offer. Um, now, the, the, the first one, this I'll admit, this is a little underhanded. Um, I love it, though. <laughs> it's the old send a gift to the spouse trick, right? So... Uh, <laughs> So what we do is we, you know, when she accepts that offer, we send them, uh, the spouse, you know, a bottle of wine or, you know, bouquet of flowers or tickets to a show or a nice restaurant. And it says, um, thank you for sharing Sally with us. We're super excited to have her on the team. We can't wait to meet you as well. Now that, you know, uh, you're going to be part of the Bluefish family, signed by the founder of the company. Nobody does this, right? I mean, this is insane. You're going to have that spouse. So no matter what the counteroffer is, the spouse is like, look at this company. This is awesome. 
Uh, so now we've got her emotionally committed. We've got the spouse on board. You're, you know, you're set. Um, so then the last step is the first day on the job. Uh, and most companies fall down flat at the first, you know, you show up and they don't have your computer ready for you. And, you know, there's like, oh, yeah, there was an office. Well, you can have one of these desks. Just sit in the conference room for a while while we get your phone extensions set up. And, you know, they went through all this uh, gauntlet and they said goodbye to all their friends at the old company. And, uh, you know, they've, they, it's all promise of the future and they show up and it's like, yeah. So we do the exact opposite. When, when you show up for your first day, it's a celebration. We actually decorate your desk. We put balloons. We put a welcome to Bluefish sign, you know, above your desk. Um, we take you out to lunch meet the whole team at lunch. We uh, have a happy hour on your very first day where your spouse is invited to come meet the team. The whole thing is like, I call it, punch them in the face with love. That's what we're doing, right? <laughs> so, you know, they, we, want, we want the whole recruit, the whole interviewing, recruiting, you know, experience to culminate in this amazing, you know, first day that's all promise. Most companies, by the way, do this completely wrong. When you leave the company, most companies give you a going away party. That is so bogus, man. You're leaving the company. I'm not going to celebrate that. I'm celebrating it when you join the company, right? It just makes so much more sense. Um, okay, so I have shared with you now the, the whole process from uh, figuring out what it is that you want all the way down to the first day on the job. Um, and my goal, like I said in the beginning, is I want you to steal this content. I want you to steal these ideas, unless you're from Austin. Um, and here's the URL. So this presentation, download it from the internet. All the qu interview questions are there. Um, I'm begging you, please put some focus on this. Please put some energy into this. Uh, the number one thing that can improve your life is hiring a badass team. Your financial results will improve. I mean, I don't even run my freaking company and my financial results are improving because I have a badass team. Um, but even more importantly than that, um, your quality of life is going to improve because in any uh, company, there's you know, one person who has this, the founder, the owner, the person running the company who has a special gift. You have a special gift. You have this opportunity that no one else gets. And that is you get to pick the people you work with, right? No one else gets this. Everybody else gets, has to work with whatever the other guy on top picked, right? You get to pick everybody. You get to fire the people you don't like. You get to hire the people you do like. This is life-changing, I promise you. When you build, when everyone is working at their sort of best abilities, when everyone is operating on all cylinders, um, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so in my company, I don't even work there anymore, right? I'm not employed, but I work on some other side projects. I go into the office every single day. I have a little corner in the back where I get to work on my little side projects. I could do that from home. I don't want to do that from home. The home does not have all these badasses walking around the halls that I get to rub shoulders with. Like, that's how important it is to me. That's how, um, you know, if there's anyone in the audience who's thinking, that's not... That's not my company. It can be your company uh, if you just, you know, focus on it, put some energy in, into it. I promise you it'll, it'll change your life. Thank you very much. Um, 
I don't know if there's any questions. If there are, oh, there's one up here. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much for your presentation. Um, as, a, as a CEO of a small company, I, I think we wouldn't be that impressive. You know, our team is small. We don't have big offices. How do we, how do we adapt what you're just talking about to really knock the socks off of an applicant? So um, remember I said that badasses are attracted to other badasses. So the first 14 people that I hired at Bluefish ranged somewhere between atrocious to pretty good. And then person number 15 that I hired, his name is AJ Whitney. And this guy was a badass. And I'm not sure exactly how I got him. He probably wasn't paying attention that day. Somehow I got him. And once I had AJ, everything was easier. The next badass I wanted to hire just met AJ and was like, I'm in. Um, in fact, the interview committee went, went, once I had hired AJ, it went to me and AJ. That's it. That's all anyone could see. No one could see everybody else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you could only see me and AJ. And then we hired another badass, and it was me and AJ and the next guy. And um, so, uh, so in, in some ways, I got a little lucky there. But what AJ wanted, the reason he was attracted, was there was something about what we were offering. I don't even know. I'd have to go ask AJ what that was that attracted him in the very beginning. Um, but there, I guarantee there's something about your company. There's something culturally, um, you know, the way I describe it is, I was a total, you know, dweeb dork in high school or whatever. I'm married now, right? So, so there was one person out there that was a fit for me. I never thought that there was someone out there, but there is someone out there that was a fit for me. And there is someone out there who's a badass who likes your unique combination of whatever it is, right? It could be flexible work hours, or it could be the technologies you're working on, or, you know, just the personalities. Maybe they're, um, and if you word your job description, to whatever those benefits you have, you know, there's someone in a crappy job who has to show up from nine to five, and if your job description says, hate working nine to five, you know, developer wanted, and, or something like that, if the day that they are frustrated about, you know, having the, to, to fight the commute to get to work on time is the day they'll click on that ad. The same sort of marketing principles apply. Tell so me. it's a two-part question. Oh, oh. Who's, who's talking? Okay, gotcha. I defined Two-part question. Um, how many people for one posting goes from the, the screening interview to the whole day interview? It's, we can, we've gotten good enough now that uh, based on the written assessment and the screening interview, we probably bring less, you know, less than five, probably three people through the gauntlet. And some of them get ejected. Um, you know, halfway through, we very, maybe we'll get two people all the way through the gauntlet and they get to pick the, you know, the best one. I'm sorry, I'm going to make it a little longer. All yeah. at the same day or five different days? No, five, yeah, we can't do it all on the same day. Um, so uh, it'd, be, it'd be five different days. Okay, and the, the other question was for the reference check. I always get the answer, well, the situation for which I'm quitting the job I'm quitting now, it's because I didn't get promise that I was given. They don't know that I'm looking for a job. You can't call there, I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah. Great. So, how do you block that? Um, if if we feel like the reference check is critical for us un to understand, if we want to hire the person, then we'll have to tell them. Listen, we think you want to hire you, you, but it's contingent on a reference check. You're going to have to go tell your manager that you're looking and ask them if there'll be a reference check. Um, but most of the time, we've made our decision, and we really are calling to find out some advice on how to manage the person. So that can happen after they resign. <clears throat> Welcome. Uh, uh, Peldy okay. had a question. Oh, I can repeat it, Peldy. Um, the time 
somebody we had a problem where it, it, it was drawn out too much. So somebody we liked, they had gone through the gauntlet, but then we kept getting new people in the funnel. So the first guy had to wait two weeks before we were ready to make an offer or not, you know, or three weeks maybe. And is it because somebody else is coming in and you want to compare? Right. So like basically the question is, if your funnel is not filling out fast enough, yeah, yeah. or there's some guys that are really good right at the beginning, what do you do? Do you interview them? You got somebody really good at the beginning, you hire them. I, I mean, you can tell a bad, you go put them through the gauntlet, you can tell if they're a badass, right? You hire a badass when you see them, it doesn't matter when they came in the funnel. But you do, in my opinion, you don't need to optimize here. You're not looking for, you know, the difference between point, the, you know, the point zero 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 one percent of the world and the point zero 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 one percent of the world. You hire a badass, that's what I would recommend. So the risk of, there is, you know, maybe they're, just you don't know that they're a badass because you haven't compared them with anybody. That that means that your interviewing process is not. Yeah. So when we hire, it's guess, true that mine. when we hire someone for a brand new role, it it takes longer. It takes more for we have to see some people we think um, and uh, but in general we tend to hire people kind of for a fairly consistent role. We all the, the great thing about all these assessments, the coding exercise, we've got coding exercises answers going back eight, ten years. I mean, we know <laughs> the best way to solve that problem. We've seen hundreds of them. Um, same for the written assessments. The same questions answered over and over again. All of our uh, questions that we ask for um, the, in the panel interview are the same, uh, to, you know, tend to be the same uh, for the competencies. So you, if you get some consistency, then eventually you're, you'll be able to identify it. It is a little bit rough up front. Yes, uh, right there. When you go through the, uh, when you have people uh, interview as part of a panel uh, and you're doing the voting over in the corner, is yeah. it like one person can say, no, you're out of here, or is it two out of three and that's okay it's, and they go on? Or? Yeah, it's a little bit management uh, discretion. So the hiring manager will, uh, you know, we'll, we'll all huddle in the corner and uh, we have a role called the hiring manager, which is basically the person who this hire is going to report to. Um, and so they'll gather the three interviewers. Thumbs up, thumbs up. If everyone's thumbs up, then great. If everyone's thumbs down, then gone. If there's a, a, a mix, then he just pokes. Okay, what did you like? What, and, and you have all three of them there. And so they're saying, you know, I didn't think he was detail-oriented enough. Really? I really thought he answered that question in detail. They do a little debate, and the four of them basically decide, should we kick them on to the next step and ask them to dig into detail-oriented? Um, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. Hi, um, Mikey, right yes. up here. You're right. Thank you. Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm Richard. And this question has to do with the reference checks. Um, do you only talk to the people that they send uh, that um, they send as references, or do you talk to other people too? And the reason I ask is because at our company, we tend to uh, talk to, we ask for three reference checks, but we tend to seek three or four more others, and we tend to look for them you know, via LinkedIn or via our own uh, connections. And we found that these others that we look for tend to uh, give us some great insight on, you know, on how to manage, uh, you know, the, the candidate or yeah. what some of their strengths and weaknesses are. Could you comment on that? Yeah, I, I've heard of that. That sounds like a great idea. Um, I've never done that myself. What, who we want to talk to the most important is your current manager, right? That's the most relevant, most recent, um, and we want to talk to them whether it's a good parting or a bad parting. So um, uh, that's who we want to talk to. 
Hi, yes. Mikey. So, um, so last year we heard all about core values and how fantastic those were. It was really a fantastic presentation last year. Um, where do core values fit into this interview process? That I really thought it would fit in either at the initial or the final screening. Or yeah, so um, absolutely. Basically, it's part of the panel and the executive interview. Some of those competencies that we're assessing are our core value uh, competencies. I talked a whole bunch about last year about. Um, how we assess for uh, core values. So uh, if you didn't see that presentation, just go get it on, you know, online. Uh, um, but that has all the interview, a bunch of interview questions and techniques specifically for uh, addressing core values and culture fit, which we consider to be competent, you know, the same competencies and we, we tackle them in the panel, typically. <clears throat> yes, uh, I think I can do maybe one more. Yeah, right here. I'm just curious, we heard, we heard earlier today about doing a trial, like yes. a, you know, try before you buy. Um, and I've actually been through that um, as a candidate, and I think it's wonderful. I'm just curious, in your experience, how many times has the one-day interview uh, failed you in either direction? Yeah, so we err on the side. Darmesh said something very uh, important, which is that you can kill a culture quickly. Um, so we err on the side for a, a false negative rather than a false positive. So we'd rather say no to someone that would have been a fit than to say yes somebody who turns out to be not a fit. That's what um, our bias is. Um, and so what we find is that our best candidates have jobs, right? So they are currently employed. So it's very hard to do the trial for, the, for our town, for our can the people we're looking for, um, I love the idea of a trial. We have done contractors. If we find someone as a contractor, um, we'll hire them on as a contractor and, and see how they work on a project. We don't call it a, a trial um, uh, necessarily, but that's essentially what it is. But that's not our standard uh, process. Um, our standard process is the gauntlet, basically. Um, I will say that uh, any, if, no matter who we hire, uh, we always say, hey, there's a three-month you know, check-in, in Texas, we can fire, you can fire anybody any time you want, right? Um, but just to make everybody, just to set expectations, uh, we say, hey, in three months, we're going to check in with you and we're going to make a decision as to whether you, you know, it makes sense for you to stay or not. And, that, um, and so we do that for everybody, regardless. Um, but I, I mean, and you asked how, how good are we at picking. At this point, we're pretty darn good, I can think, in the last three, four years, we had one person that we went through the gauntlet that we hired that ended up uh, not working out. Um, and we kind of had, we were in a crunch, we needed somebody, we kind of had some, a little bit of doubts, and sure enough, he didn't work out culturally. It was a, it was a cultural uh, uh, fit, it was, a, it was a weird technical cultural fit, meaning that um, he was not open to uh, criticism in his code. Um, so he would do something and our people who were way smarter than he was, you know, the AJs of the world would come and offer some suggestions and he'd be very defensive. And so we ended up shipping crappier code than we would have ideally wanted to. And ultimately we we're like, okay, we can't handle this anymore. So we learned something about trusting our instincts um, uh, through that. <clears throat> is three months enough? Um, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, three months is enough. For us, uh, it's totally enough. Now, we are a, not a remote company. We are a, everybody, people coming to the office, because we're all just 
want to bask in the glory of each other's awesomitude, right? So you got to do that in the office. So I think it's faster to figure out some of these things if they're in the office and you're on the whiteboard with them all, all day, every day. Don't forget, you can get regular updates from Business of Software via the newsletter. Sign up for free at businessofsoftware.org updates. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.